Uh, Melissa's going to come up in a moment. Uh, for those of you who don't know Melissa Kingfield, uh, she's been a friend of mine ever since uh, we were at UTD together. Uh, we went through uh, the sociology program together. Josh, yes, can you please interrupt me? We use the mic to introduce her so we know. Oh, okay. Hello. I'd like to introduce Melissa Kenfield. <laughs> we go way back, all the way to UTD. And, uh, moments. Oh, uh, anyway, so, um, Melissa has come to talk to us uh, along the lines of our race and uh, the gospel series, and she's going to talk about interracial dating, which is kind of a weird bookend uh, for our series, uh, just to kind of randomly be like, okay, and this is the last topic, you know, as if, like, this is the one we want you to remember. No. Um, originally, that wasn't the plan. A number of things kind of got moved around, you know. We had to accommodate Willie when Willie wanted to talk, you know, and so super picky, you know, and uh, uh, anyway, and of course, we were going to meet last week when Melissa was going to go, and then we got rained out, which meant we didn't get a drop of rain. And uh, so it's just kind of ending up that way. Uh, but I asked Melissa, you know, months ago and then moved her like four times uh, to come and talk about this topic. And so I know she's got some things to share with you. Uh, she's been working at our Wiley Church for a while uh, in a number of different things. Her husband, Justin, is here, uh, who's also really active in our focus ministry, was and now in our adult ministry. And so I'm just excited that they're here to share with you. And so hopefully you'll take notes and ask questions uh, after. And then uh, Leslie's going to come up and kind of uh, officially end our service and do communion time, and then, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll close out. So I'm going to say a prayer from listen, and then we'll uh, move forward. Lord God, thank you so much for the wisdom that you've given uh, us to um, make known some of just the difficult and complex things we deal with in, uh, in our lives and the things that we face. Uh, dating and marriage and uh, um, just romance, that, that's such a tough uh, topic today in a society that uh, tells us that we should do what we feel like doing and, and want to do and what pleases us uh, and follow every whim and desire, it seems. And, um, and then when you add on top of that just the, the, the institutional struggles we face with interacting with people who are different from us, and uh, I just pray that your spirit would speak through Melissa, um, that you uh, would give us insight and wisdom that will open up our eyes to uh, how the gospel changes everything for us including our dating lives, including our marriages, including every aspect of our life that you're going to bring good news into it, and that we would trust you and hear the words that, uh, that you have for us. We love you, Lord. Amen. Oh, good morning. Let's see. There was a tall person here before, so just, just yell at me if I'm too loud or too quiet or something. Ashley thinks I'm perfect in every way. I love it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Um, it's been a few years since I've been up here at the Denton Church. Um, I actually I did the Focus internship years ago before it was the apprenticeship. And so I got to be here at the very early days of the Denton Church. And at the time, we were told to be the best members of the Wiley community we could since the church was being planted out of the Wiley Church. And so I dove into the Wiley Church and got to know people there and completely fell in love with the Wiley Church in the midst of the Denton Church planting. (laughs) So instead of staying here as part of the Denton Church, I ended up moving to the Wiley Church, and I have loved that community. It's a great crowd of people, Um, and as 
as they were saying earlier, as Brad was pointing out, there's just a lot of people there who need people to spend time with them and to love them. So there's a lot of teens that need people to spend time with them. There's a lot of adults who need people to just go there and be their friend. Um, and it's a really, it's a really interesting, again, group of people. Some have been with our church family since the beginning. Some have been woven in in recent years. And there's this cool thing that's been happening lately where some of the, the young graduates, people coming out of the focus ministries, are coming up to the Wiley Church and really spending a lot of time with the adults, investing in them, and God's making some really cool relationships work there. So I wanted to just take a moment to, to ask y'all um, if anybody would, was prayerfully considering coming up to the Wiley Church. I know that this place is cool and your friends are here, but I really want y'all to consider if God is leading you back to the Murphy, Wiley, East Plano area to come up there. So yes, my goal is to poach people from here. <laughs> Leslie told me not to, but you know, what do I do? Yeah, well, there is a price. Uh, our coffee currently is pretty bad, but I heard that Cody's been called back to help our coffee ministry. I heard that, was it Eden's coming over the summer to help us out? So it should be better. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's me. Um, and I, like several other people in the church family, ended up, ended up teaching sociology at Collin College. So... Yeah, yeah, go Cougars. Um, Oh, am I, are you telling me I'm too short for this? Cool. Oh, you can just get on Facebook, look at my face whenever you want, Austin. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is being recorded, I should be a little bit more proper, Um, maybe. Yeah, Um, there's Justin, we've been married about two years now, so he's pretty great. Um, And I would keep talking about how great Justin is, but then we would never get to the sermon. So, yeah, that's better. Yeah. Yeah. So, today, somehow, we're going to wrap up the series talking about race and dating. And it's kind of hard to figure out how to tie that all together. So, oh, that's a nice echo. So I'm going to try to paint you all a picture of where I'm going today. Um, The first thing I want to talk about is just a little bit of what the Christian community has done with interracial dating, especially in the 20th century. And so that's going to be my opportunity to like slather on that white guilt y'all have been talking about. (laughs) Then I'm going to jump gears, talk about dating for a little while, and then we'll integrate it all back together. And I've asked Tong and Autumn to come up at the very end and just talk a little bit about some of the, the the differences, like the unique challenges that can come and all the great benefits that can come from that. So that's kind of the big picture. There may or may not be slides along the way, depending on if I pay attention to my notes or not. So we'll see. Um, So part one, white guilt time. Um, I know, oh no. No, and this is one of those things that um, just, just last week in my class, we finally got to the part in class where my students are comfortable enough to talk about religion. And it's always interesting and beautiful, and I'm so excited to have the type of job where I can, yeah, that's where we're going, Um, the type of job where I can talk to a range of 19-year-olds who a lot of them would never step foot in a church community. I get to present them with a bunch of different religious ideas, but a lot of them are coming with baggage. And just one last week, she was talking about how she'd only experienced like a super conservative religious worldview. 
um, like the, the student she said she wanted to adopt when she's older. And she was talking to her grandmother about it, and the grandmother said, well, I hope, I hope you adopt white babies. And the student was like, why does that matter? Like, what if I brought an Asian baby home? And the grandmother said, well, the races are supposed to be separate. That's God's will. Yeah. And she, as a, as a millennial, is like, what is that? Where does that worldview come from? But this is one of those things that is part of the 20th century Christian community. Um, back when I was first preparing for this, it was the time in class when we were talking about racial segregation in our schools. And whenever I tried to illustrate just how angry the white community was about schools becoming integrated, you just do a little bit of searching and you find pictures like that. You see people holding their signs saying, God is the author of segregation. And again, when you're online, you'll find that the internet atheist community loves this stuff. They love pointing to this and saying, this is what the Christian church is about. And very few of the Christian community that I could find would address this, would deal with this, would raise this question of, why did people believe that? They tend to take this approach of, well, I don't believe this. It's not my view. And if they did have a bad view, like we should just forgive them and move on. But there's a lot of our, our country, there's a lot of people that aren't ready to move on because of what happened with it. And I don't blame them for that. So this one, um, I know you can't read what the little script underneath it says, but it's actually referencing a verse in Genesis, and I decided to go like King James Version proper to, to put the scripture references up. So yeah, God is the author of segregation comes out of Genesis 9, um, and that's the curse of Canaan or the curse of Ham. And I think one of y'all had referenced this in an earlier sermon. Admittedly, I did listen through like a month worth of Denton sermon in one afternoon, so they kind of blurred together. <laughs> but I know that somebody talked about this, this belief that emerged that somehow entire groups of people were meant to be serfs, servants, slaves, whatever, because of this curse. And again, thinking through that, somehow I doubt that when Genesis happened, it was designed as a policy decision for 20th century American schools. But hey, maybe that's my 21st century value system coming in. Yeah, so another one of the signs says, integration is a mortal sin. Let's see what the next one's got. Yeah, just, just roll with it until the pictures catch up. Yeah. Um, so the next one, you'll, you'll see it eventually. Uh, there's this woman holding a sign that says, integration is a mortal sin. Um, and it's pulled a verse from Ezra, um, referencing how the Israelites weren't supposed to take wives from the other people, um, the mixed marriage crisis. And again, I'm sure there's somebody who knows a lot more about Ezra and Nehemiah than I do. There we go. There's that lovely lady with her sign. And again, the text below is referencing something in Ezra, which hopefully is the next slide. And again, it's, you, you could look that up. That's in the Bible, uh, talking about the mixed marriage crisis. And again, that was something that people in the 20th century took to mean we shouldn't marry people of different races. Um, and again, maybe it's my 21st century values talking, but... 
I would assume that these Old Testament prohibitions on mixed marriages have a lot more to do with your faith and religion than your race, ethnicity, and nationality, especially considering people in the ancient Near East didn't have the same concept of race that we did. I don't know how it could be referring to the same concept of race, but again... On, this, on my notes, about five different times, I literally typed out that shrug emoji. I was like, <laughs> like trying to understand how people come to these beliefs. Um, and so, again, I've got a couple more pictures of people with their signs. Cursed is the man who integrates. And that one comes from the Holy Bible. I mean, who are you to argue with the Holy Bible? <laughs> Jeremiah 11, um, which again, is a curse on violating God's commands. Doesn't specifically say which of God's commands, just a curse. And again, my best guess is it's derived from Deuteronomy 7, but that one again is specifically talking about faith and religion and this thought that foreign women will drag you away to worship idols. So again, is that, that's one of those things. It seems that people looked at these verses and started applying it to race instead of religion. And so there's these signs. Again, integration is illegal is up next. Integration is communism. There's a lot going on in this one, by the way. Um, Yeah, a lot of great different signs. One in the back is holding the integration is unchristian sign. And it's hard for me to look at these because these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. The people being targeted by the signs are our brothers and sisters in Christ and the people holding the signs. And we have to figure out what to do with this history. And so again, that's just, that's our history. Part of 20th century American fundamental Christianity is, was about positioning itself against the integration of races, both in schools and in marriages. Um, and so, again, and when I wrote this, I kind of assumed that most of the room would be with me on saying like, That's a pretty bad policy to have. Um, So that's my assumption here. Um, And again, some of these examples. um, In 1960, again, going way back, um, Bob Jones Sr. presented an Easter sermon, this great topical for Easter, pointing out that God had made different races and intends for them to inhabit different areas of the globe, and we shouldn't get in the way of that. So that's Acts 17.26, I should have an Acts 17.26 slide up there, too. And again, it's like that, that's what happens when you take one verse out of context. When you take one verse and say, this, this is what we mean. Um, it says something to the effect of how God had marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. So yeah, Acts 17.26, great verse. And so what this sermon had said in 1960 was that agitations for racial equality amounted to no less than a satanic disturbance in the peace. And if you married a person from a different race, you are clearly outside the will of God. Clearly. Um, You can read the whole thing online if you want. And there's actually a physical copy of this sermon. They printed it out as a publication. There's one in, I think... Iowa, there's a college in Iowa that has a physical copy, so if anybody wants to go on a road trip, check it out in person. Um, And what I found so interesting historically about that was it had happened in response to a Good Friday sermon that Billy Graham had done. So it's like the the warring pastors going on, um, that Billy Graham had done a sermon urging people towards racial reconciliation, urging people to end Jim Crow laws, and it angered another major pastor. 
And so, again, when you look at some of these private Christian colleges, again, Bob Jones University had banned interracial dating from the early 70s up until 2000. Now, you might be wondering why it was only the early 70s they banned it. Prior to that point, unmarried black students were not allowed to attend. Married students could, but if you were single and black, you could not attend the college. So once they started admitting unmarried black students, they like, okay, policy in place, no interracial dating. The university has since apologized. Similarly, Liberty University had the same kind of ban, and they too have apologized. And that's again where we kind of have to figure out what to do with that. Because it's the past, right? Like, why dredge it up? They, they said they're sorry. But again, it's not just the past. I mean, that's affecting my students today. I've got students in my classes who have a negative view of Christianity because of these attitudes that were promulgated 50 years ago. Um, I also was looking around for, like, is there still current opinion polls on that one? And I ended up finding, like, a survey of likely voters from the 2012 election that they'd asked people in Alabama and Mississippi if they thought that interracial marriage should still be legal. And 67%, 67% did agree it should be legal. About 20% said, I don't know. And then there was still a decent number mostly over the age of 65, who said it should be illegal. So again, it's still out there. And it's one of those things that's driving a wedge, causing a stumbling block for people. See, I've offended Brad. He's going to have to walk out now. (laughs) It's the reminder to watch our life and our doctrine closely. Because again, people looked at the scriptures and thought they saw this. And they tried to go with this. And the strangest thing to me is that Acts 17 verse was in the midst of that sermon from Paul regarding that statue to an unknown God. He's urging people to, to see God's goodness. And he's speaking to them through their culture. He's taking the things that they're familiar with and saying, look at God's goodness. So it's very much a sermon that was about Again, uniting people, pointing towards God, not simply dividing people and saying, you belong on this continent and you belong on this continent. So, it's an interesting, interesting interpretation. And it's interesting, again, to think that some of our brothers and sisters in Christ would look at those verses and see that thing about racial separation But again, that's the history we have to deal with and the history that I think we have part of an obligation to bring healing towards to say, like, that's not the God we serve. The God we serve is a God that, again, calls all people to him, values everybody equally. And whenever we have this thing in American history that's like separating people, it inevitably turns into valuing some higher than others. And when I think about the ways that this still affects us, I think about the fact that like, I, I was homeschooled using textbooks from some of those publishers. I benefited from a robust education that was promoted in part, like there was this huge rise in private Protestant schools and the homeschooling movement in response to getting white students away from non-white students. So because of these anti-integration attitudes, I got a cool education. I mean, what do I do with that? We have to look, figure out how to move on, how to apologize for the past, acknowledge the past, and work towards healing. American individualism says, if I didn't do it personally, it's not my fault. 
I don't have to deal with it. I'm not responsible. But a godly community says that when there's a problem, we need to walk with our brothers and sisters towards that reconciliation and towards that healing. So then what do we do? Do I just say, okay, to make up for the past, that means we should only date other races and then we'll come to balance. No, it's like, I think it was Sierra talking about that a few weeks ago, this thought that if I only shop at black-owned businesses, that'll fix the past. No, that doesn't help. Uh, but I do think it's a call for us to start to, to reform some of our thoughts on, again, what does it mean? What does a healthy relationship mean? Who should I be looking towards for that? So I'm going like, to totally switch gears and talk about dating and marriage for a couple of minutes. Um, and then hopefully bring it all together at the end. Um, and so the next part, again, talking a little bit about dating. Um, dating is the mechanism that American culture uses to find a spouse. So I would hope that before you're thinking about, like, how do I date well, you might want to have a couple of, like, basic statements in mind about marriage so you know what you're aiming towards, Maybe. And so I'm going to make a couple of general statements. And I did speak at a piece of theology about this. And so if you want to listen to a lot of information, there's that. Uh, but instead, I'm just going to make a couple of statements and not unpack them correctly, not unpack them completely. It's just going to be really short, and you're just going to have to roll with it. Got it? So first statement I'm going to make is marriage is part of God's fundamental design for humans. Marriage is a really good thing. I don't have like a single handy proof text for this, but marriage is good. Um, We were created in God's image, male and female, and together we get a more rounded representation of God. And there's a lot of these things that Americans think that you need in marriage that I think really should come from the Christian community. There's a lot of this companionship, friendship that people try to like dump into a marriage, which again, I think the, the body of Christ as a whole should be covering. But I do think there is something really critically important about marriage itself. And I'm not going to unpack all of that. Um, but I wanted to start with that to, to make a couple of points. That first, the decision to get married is something that should only come through a lot of prayer and seeking wisdom. And the decision to avoid marriage is something that only should come through a lot of prayer and seeking wisdom. When I hear people saying that they think they're like a confirmed bachelor, I always wonder, like, why did you come up with that thought? Because a lot of times it does have to do with, like, people's fears, people's reservation, people holding stuff back. And so they say, oh, I'm not even going to entertain the thought. When it's like they didn't ask God about that. That was just them talking. So I wanted to start with that to say, like, marriage is good, marriage is great, But it's not what a lot of times we want it to be. And that's my second point. Marriage is not about your happiness or your sexual fulfillment. If you think that getting married is there to bring you joy, happiness, the best companionship, or that marriage is designed as an outlet for your sexual needs, again, please get your head out of your bunghole. Don't drag somebody else. (laughs) That's... I knew that Justin would like that. God is good. Marriages often do bring joy, happiness, and great sex. But these are also things that come with time, hard work, mutual commitment, patience, practice, and self-sacrifice. 
Um, and one of the things that happened is that American culture glorifies sex. It just, it's such an idol in American culture. And even Christian culture will buy into that sometimes. Christian culture will paint this picture that if you're like sexually pure prior to marriage, then God will reward you with stellar sex and marriage. It's a nice fantasy, isn't it? <laughs> we live in a fallen world and we have to walk towards redemption. And so I think, uh, yeah, I've got it on the screen now. There's a, uh, an article called Christians are not called to have amazing sex. I would like to note it's not saying Christians are called to not have amazing sex. It's just saying like there's not this promise from God. <laughs> it is not saying that God wants sex to be boring. It's not that. Uh, the point is, is that that's not like something that you're just destined to have. Um, and so there, what the article was responding to was there's apparently an article written by somebody else who said that she was sexually incompatible with their spouse, whatever that means, and after like six years they got a divorce, and this, this woman writing this other article was like, if only we had had sex before marriage, we would have known. And the, this relevant article thoroughly rebukes that worldview to say like, who told you that sex was going to be good, perfect, that you would have it figured out after only six years? Like, it takes time. And so I'm just going to read a couple of paragraphs from that article. Although sex is indeed God's gift to us, Christians are not directly commanded by God to have great sex. Couples may find themselves incompatible in the bedroom, and they should not be bombarded with pressure from the Christian community to start having good sex and lots of it. Instead, they should find support and comfort, support that sex is not the only thing that makes a good marriage, and comfort that historically all Christians have been called by God to suffer through numerous trials. Sexual incompatibility, therefore, is a cross that some couples bear, and Christian communities could lighten this burden if we made an effort to put sex in its rightful place. If sex were viewed as a gift that, like everything else in this world, is marred by sin— it may be easier for couples to accept that bad sex is neither a reason for divorce nor an excuse to stop investing in a marriage. As with other trials, bad sex is an opportunity to stop bad sex is an opportunity to rejoice in suffering and to be further conformed to the image of Christ. So as disciples, we shouldn't be viewing sex as this physical need, we should be viewing it as a gift to each other. And so as disciples, we should be looking to serve our spouses. If sex is important to them, I sure hope you're willing to serve them. If not, today's a good day to become a Christian. <laughs> Similarly, if they have particular issues... <laughs> yeah, I like that line. Um, <laughs> if they have particular issues, areas where they're fallen, we have to be careful. If your spouse struggles with same-sex attraction or other deviant sexualities or had been sexually assaulted... These things can lead to difficulties in the sexual relations in marriage, and we're called to be patient and walk towards healing together. And why I'm going here, why I'm talking about sex for so long, is because that's part of this, this subtext that happens. Like, people want this chemistry, they want this spark, they want this attraction thing as their primary choice in a relationship. And I think part of that has to do with this thought that they're expecting this, like, sexual compatibility to just be like easy and natural and so that's where I'm going to move into the third point I didn't have this really great 
title for it, so we'll just roll with this. Marriage is not about just what you want. We act like we can be really selfish on this checklist about a person, like what type of job or what their family background is or especially what they look like, and then we just assume that we'll be selfless and kind when we're actually dating or married. And again, it's a nice fantasy world, but it's not the reality of most people. But again, American culture gets so obsessed with these concepts of attraction and sexual compatibility, whatever that means, that we get reduced to these animalistic instincts or pheromones or whatever. Uh, this also was a conversation in the faculty office a couple of weeks ago. Uh, some of my coworkers were lamenting about how bad online dating is. I was like, I would tell them, hey, there's a lot of great single people in my church community, except, you know, most of them wouldn't go to a church community, so that's a problem for them. But they kept talking about how, like, you need to have this spark and this chemistry, and I'm like, what is that? I mean, I know, I know what that is, but at the same time, what does that mean long-term? What does that mean for long-term compatibility on, on your values? And the other thing is, like, God can use that. God does use that. But God also uses barnyard animals when he needs to. And imagine if that was our new philosophy on life. The only words from God we will listen is if it comes out of the mouth of an ass. (laughs) I mean the donkey, donkey people. (laughs) But that's what we do with this chemistry thing, don't we? (laughs) This thought like, oh yeah, God can use it, so he must. (laughs) And so when I hear these comments and people saying things like, I just don't find gingers attractive, or I don't find people with darker skin attractive. It's like, well, good for you. Aren't you all that in a bag of chips? (laughs) Again, like, why are we obsessing over this, like, chemistry and spark thing instead of looking at the values that matter most to God? And so... That's my general reminder. It's like, we have to be willing to go out with people who aren't your type, whatever that means. Um, again, not in this pity date kind of way. The, the general rule of thumb there is like, if you think that you are out of their league, you got that backwards. Yeah, just let that one sink in for a minute. Yeah, so that's the thing. Like, shared values, life goals, those are the things that are most important. And when we get these, like, superficial physical things we got a problem going on. Um, and that said, this is our, the last awkward transition of trying to tie it all together. The, the values thing does matter, and that's where things get a little messy again. Uh, because as we know, like, people have different cultures, and that's good. That's part of God's plan. And so there's this, this third like, kind of milder viewpoint that I've seen show up online. Um, I actually saw it on the Focus on the Family website in kind of a weird way. And then a bunch of, like, left-wing provocateurs hated it and are just, like, describing everything wrong with it. And I'm like, ugh. Anyway. So there's this viewpoint that, like, there's nothing scripturally wrong with dating people of a different race, but you're signing yourself up for extra problems. Again, whatever that means. Um, And it usually refers more to dating a different culture. Um... And that's the thing, like, I understand where people are coming from for saying, like, oh, I don't want to make things harder than they are, because marriage is going to be hard. Like, going into it, you know you've got some problems and some friction, and then you get married, and new things emerge. 
But the problem that I'm seeing with this viewpoint is this thought that you're just assuming based on the stereotype that, oh, because a person's from a different cultural background, it's going to be really challenging. And so, again, I've heard people say things like, I couldn't date this guy who's Mexican because Mexicans are too patriarchal. And I'm like, you don't even know this dude. Like, <laughs> like but whatever. <laughs> or again, white people. White people don't care about family and they eat too much green bean casserole. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again, it's, it's, it's that stereotype thing going on. Um, so we have to be really careful about that. And there's that opposite ditch that dating somebody of a different culture only because they're different is as bad as dating people only of your own. Because um, we're talking about people. Like, this is a child of God you're talking about, not your personal quest to redeem American history. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got some snaps on that one. Yeah. And so that's the thing. It's like, I, I, don't, I don't have a great conclusion to that because, like, I know that cultural differences are real, um, some cultures, again, value family a lot more than the waspy white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Americans do. And that's probably a really good thing. Um, and if I act like my white Americanness is God's intention for how people are and how relationships are, and that everybody else should just get in line, again, I've got a pretty big problem there. Um, again, I think, was it, was it Josh that shared about how, like, every culture has its sins and every culture has its strengths? Does that sound like something you'd say? Uh, he's giving me the thumbs up on that. And so, again, in, in relationships, it's like, it's not a question of, do I pick the American way or the Nigerian way? It's the question of, like, does God have an opinion on this? If God has an opinion on something, we follow God's way. If God doesn't seem to have, like, a strong statement one way or the other, we look to serve each other. It's like, sounds easy, right? <laughs> like, I know it's not going to be that simple. I'm just trying to talk in, like, the, the general principles there. Um, and so that's the, that's the thing that I kind of had to, to leave on, is, like, I get why people are hesitant about cultural differences, but I think it's a really dangerous thing for you as a person to have that attitude because, again, you're looking at people as stereotypes instead of as people, and especially if you're not even willing to consider them for, like, go on a couple of dates, be their friend, that kind of thing. Again, it seems pretty hazardous. It seems like you're not valuing God's people for all that they are. So with that in mind, I wanted to hear a little bit from Autumn and Tong, in part because they are, like, amazing people, um, but also because that's something that I know y'all have had a few questions, like, you've had to work through. So if I could get y'all to come up and share a little bit on that. Yeah. So as they're coming up, I wanted to say, in keeping with Wiley Church tradition, I didn't text them asking them to share until like last night (laughs) and then they didn't respond and then I found out that the group text didn't actually work so I actually basically texted them this morning so (laughs) yeah so that's on me but I'm going to turn it over to y'all and the questions that I had asked were more or less in what ways has the other person's cultural heritage shown you a more complete vision of who God is Um, And then, are there any challenges that are, like, culturally specific? So, sound good? Cool. Well, on that, I'm going to take my delicious coffee and move on, turn it over to them. (laughs) Um, So, I'll go first.
first. Um, I'm going to answer the first question, which is, in what way has the other person's cultural heritage shown you a more complete version of who God is? Um, and for me, in getting to know Tan and his mom and his culture, they are very servant-hearted people. Um, and they give gifts to everyone. Um, just thinking about Tan and our relationship and how he treats others and his mom when he comes here, like their thoughts are, how can I serve you? How can I give you gifts? Um, when his mom comes, not that we ask her to, she brings us so many gifts, but not just for Tan and me. She gives us gifts for my sisters and my mom and my dad and my grandma and my aunt, people who she barely knows, but she takes the time to think about them and what they would want and how she can serve them. And I think that's who God is. Um, he serves us well, and he wants us to serve others, and he gives us good gifts, and he wants us to give gifts to others. Uh, I think for me, when I look at uh, autumn families, um, I think one thing is that really prominent, other than other Christian values, uh, I think it's like stewardness. Um, with autumn families, like I feel like they, you know, manage things well with financial stuff, and they, I feel like they teach um, how to manage the money well, and how to manage resource well, and manage what given to them. I don't think I saw them like want more like in American culture right you always strive for like the big best things like 60 inch TV with like nice home theater but I feel like with Autumn Family I feel like I not see that at all and I think for that it's like you know American culture values I think that's like it's like of who God is it's just like you know not crave for more and just like content contentment And the second question was, what challenges has the relationship brought that are specific to your culture backgrounds? Um, For me, thinking through this, when we first started dating, um, the American belief is that America is the best. Like, we are the greatest at everything. And I think I realized when we started dating that I sort of had those beliefs without realizing it. And so it caused us, um, when we were having arguments, a lot of that, because I'm like, no, the way I was raised was better than the way that you were raised um, and wouldn't really understand where he's coming from. And I really had to work through their great things about how I grew up, but there are awful things too. And there are wonderful things about how he grew up, but there are bad things too. And so we had to, um, and still do have to have a lot of open communication about that. And most recently, I mean, we just got married a few months ago, but when we first did, um, there was a family member of his that would send us some really ugly, nasty emails. Um, and the way I want to respond to it is very much the American way. I want to defend ourselves. I want to send back and say, no, here are some truths and everything. But that's not how his culture works. That's not how we could respond. And so um, learning how to be respectful of his culture and understand that the way that I want to respond is not always the best way. Um, and really having grace for each other and when we're, where we're coming from when... We want to handle things very differently because of how we grew up. Yeah, and I think one of our challenges, I still don't think Autumn family love green bean casserole. So (laughs) (laughs) working through that, try to make the best green bean casserole. But on the serious note, I think that... (laughs) (laughs) I think on the serious note, I think... Um, for us, our challenge with our relationship is just, you know, 
the way we raise up a two different culture, like on top of that, it's not just culture; it's also like different religions. Mm -hmm. So, like one of the challenges I bring into relationship because I grew up like 16 years of belief in Buddhism, where you know what you do or treat have consequences, and I had to like. You know, now I become like disciple and become Christian. I have to like, you know, work through my baggage of like how I used to raise and how I respond to things on top of how my family deal things and how autumn family view up things. So, you know, there's like for our relationship and what we deal with right now, it's just how her family view of my culture mm -hmm. and what they think of me. Because they love me as a person, right? I can, you know, testament to that. And I think her family, like, loves me, right? But when it comes to my culture, it's just, like, they set aside. Because they're just like, this is, like, Tong is Christian now. We only do Christian things. So, um, you know, they plan to visit Thailand next year with me. And they just, like, we're not going to do things that are Buddhist way. But I was like, well, but a lot of culture and what I grew up is used to be this way, you know, like going to school, they have Buddha statues, so it's just like, but all in all, it's just how to, you know, involve her family and just like to know how I grew up and just how we talk mm -hmm. about certain things, how we deal with certain way and stuff that's been really challenging for us. And we'll see how that goes, so. Right, and that's all. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.